All right, what's up? We got a, another. Do we call these bonus episodes, G? I don't know because it's is it really a bonus if everybody gets it? No, it's just something for everybody. We are so excited about the reissue that Iodine Recordings did for Slip and the book that Tom Tomb put together, the artwork and layout for this thing, that we just wanted to do something to shine some light on it, let people know about it, let people know they should pick it up if they already haven't. And so we were lucky enough to be joined by Tom and and, uh, and Casey today. So thanks for Casey hanging with from, us. Yeah, Casey from Iodine and... Uh, uh, recordings who uh in the past couple of years have come back and been putting out releases and we we talked about them on previous episodes but yeah this this quicksand um and tom we've had tom we've had on but not on like we've you've heard his voice snippets but this is the first time we get to actually interact with him in real time so yeah jason and i are stoked javier uh is traveling so he's not able to make it he's bombed um but we wanted to talk about slip and Jason and I were, were thinking like the best way to start off, honestly, for both of you, I would love to find out. We would love to find out because this was Jason's question and I think it's a good one um, for both of you. What was your first exposure to slip? Not necessarily quicksand. I don't know. You know, a lot of people quicksand had the seven inch as we know, and they're playing around for a while at this point. Um, Casey, I don't know how old you are. Maybe like for me, I didn't know quicksand until after slip till manic compression, but yeah. What was your first exposure Casey to, to this record? Yeah. Well, you know, thanks for that intro and thanks for having us excited to finally do this. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a little bit younger than Tom. Um, but you know, I think I'm right about that age. I was in high school when slip came out. Um, I sort of, missed slip um manic compression was really my entry point uh into quicksand and that was because of warp tour you know and at the time i was into bands like offspring and stuff like that and so i saw quicksand uh, at warp tour in massachusetts and it was like you know really started thrusted me into the world of hardcore um and it was probably a year or two more before i really sort of get you know engaged in the hardcore scene um but once i found slip i mean it was that has become just you know top five records from my you know my life then moving forward so like when iodine came back this record was kind of at the tip of our tongues of something that we really wanted to be involved with and um it you know it was and i know i'm speaking for tom as well but it was kind of a dream come true to to be able to work on it and work with the band and be able to put our logo on the back of a record that was, you know, so important for, for me growing up. How about you, Tom? Yeah, for me, yeah, for me, it was, again, being um, a little older, um, I was about to move to New York City. I moved to New York City in March, April of 93. So the record, you know, had just uh, come out. And I was largely coming from a very metal childhood, classic, you know, 80s, you know, uh, 70s and 80s metal um, into my brother was four years older. He's the one who really kind of turned me on to, to Pill and Misfits and and bands of that sort. And then honestly, through college, 
I feel like I really uh, connected to things like the Smiths. And then you connect very quickly, as you can imagine, to a quicksand and an alternative sound that quicksand had that was unique and very powerful, yet very crunchy, you know, and very guitar driven. And so it was the best of all the worlds for me personally. It, it had the Walter's clean singing, all of these facets and the two guitars, the huge bass and Alan's drums. It was like ministry was years before that for me, um, this kind of thing that just seemed different, but it combined forces of things that I loved otherwise. And what then in the end was unique in and of itself. So Slip really led that. And of course, when you move from small town Pennsylvania, Greg, um, you know, um, you know, I moved from Lancaster to Kutztown to go to college and and I was managing a record store in a little town just outside Hershey, Pennsylvania. And, you know, you start hearing this and you're moving to New York City and, and you know, you're seeing things like the Ramones and in-store at Tower Records on Broadway. And you're going to experience all this stuff that you had read about and heard about. It was uh, quicksand slip became such a very integral part of that sound and an evolution for me. So it's a very New York like I like for I don't know if it's just something I associate with, but it it is very like I can I can only imagine you know at that time too you moving to New York because it is it's a record that I associate with New York City. Um, my uh, my cat yeah, sure. just tried to stand on this uh, <laughs> this copy of the record. Um, so I mean, Casey, because you realize like it's pretty insane that this exists. Like oh, yeah. it sounds, it sounds like you are well aware of that. Like the fact that, you know, I've known iodine since the original, you know, when you're around the early two thousands and put out some, you know, cool records and bands I know and was friends with like aim of Conrad, you know, I was friends with all, all those guys. And, you know, most of those guys, I think they had some lineup changes and whatnot. And, you know, to have, like you said, your logo on the back of this iconic, game-changing record you know for probably everybody that listens to this podcast i would say at least 95 percent. well this is in the top echelon of of records like how hard was it to get this to get this going to get the rights because this is a record that came out on a major label you know it came out um and then the you know they had ties to revelation so part of it's like oh you know wonder why revelation didn't do it like all that stuff how how difficult was it it sounded like it was years in planning yeah you know and going back a little bit you know iodine took a 17 year break you know between our first run and our our current state and so you know over those years i lived life i kind of focused on myself and i was pretty far removed from the music scene and when the label came back initially the goal was to just really focus on kind of closing the chapter of, you know, where, where we left things off. Cause I had, you know, the industry was changing. I'm sure you guys have talked about this on the podcast before, you know, digital was becoming a thing. People weren't buying as many CDs. Vinyl wasn't doing anything. Um, and revenue streams for labels were just, you know, in the trash can. And, uh, it, you know, around that same time in the early 2000s, there have been a lot of mid-sized labels just started tanking, you know, and a lot of 
labels that had really big bands. Um, and so we weren't immune to that. And so when, when we decided to bring it back, <clears throat> I, I wanted to do it right. And I wanted to, to, to be big, you know, and I wanted to make an impact. And a lot of that is just to give back to the scene that gave so much to me. Right. I mean, this is what I've always viewed as my contribution to, to music and, and to the community that we are all part of. So, um, after we did our first few releases, I met with my business partner, uh, Joseph Grillo from Garrison and her heads on fire. And, you know, we were just started coming up with like a list of crazy ideas of, Hey, if we were to do a big release that we can try to use to showcase the quality of work that we do and highlight the amount, like the, the attention to detail and those, those minor things that matter to us that, you know, as a fan of music, you would want to see in these types of releases. And we've all seen it before. Some, some big labels, some small labels, you know, sometimes they take on projects and I'm not speaking bad on anyone in particular, but these projects can quickly look like cash grabs um, because, you know, they're just mass producing it. They're throwing it into the stores and, we were like, what record could we take on and really give it that treatment and that love and the respect that it deserves so that a fan who gets it, you know, it, they would want for nothing. They would have everything, you know, encapsulated in, in the, the final product. So, you know, the top of my list was Fugazi. And I was like, okay, well, as long as Ian Makai is alive, I'll never get to do a Fugazi record. Um, and number two on the list was Quicksand. And it was, you know, one of the most inspiring records for me. And it was a huge influence on why I started a label and why I got into this style of music. And we just started asking around. And, you know, I got some contacts over at Polydor and Universal and started conversations with them. And, you know, we learned pretty early on that the license was available. And anyone who's worked with majors, uh, Tom can attest to this. It was a massive pain in the ass for, for a very long time, like going back and forth, trying to sort of close this deal. Um, and once we knew that we were going to secure the masters uh, or the license, rather, we reached out to the band and the management and we kind of proposed what we wanted to do. And I think at first they were probably like, who are you and, and what, you know, what do you want to do? Um, but luckily, you know, and I can get to kind of where Tom came in in a minute, but I don't know Walter personally as a friend. Um, we, but we have a lot of mutual acquaintances. And so a lot of people were going to Walter saying, Hey, you can trust Casey. Like the, the quality of work that iodine is going to put into this is going to far exceed anything you could imagine. And, you know, real quickly, the band and the management, and everyone really warmed up to the idea and got really excited about it. And um, and then two years later, we finally got it out. Uh, and the book is is a whole journey in of itself. And uh, Tom, it wouldn't have happened without Tom. It, it was, um, you know, I can I can jump into it now. But essentially, you know, finding this archival stuff from 30 years ago was close to impossible. Um, the band saved nothing, like nothing. We asked, we asked Walter to check, you know, his parents' attic and his basement. And he's like, yeah, I looked, I couldn't find anything. And the reality is, you know, 
30 years ago, none of these guys thought like, oh, we should save this because it's going to be important in 30 years. I mean, no one, no one thinks like that. Right. So, right. um, it, it was a journey trying to, to gather all this stuff. And, you know, we collectively trashed this project, the book at least multiple times, like throughout the process, because we just didn't want to half-ass it. And I didn't want to have this cobbled together thing with some low resolution scans of flyers that we found on the internet. Um, and, uh, you know, at, right in the fall of last year, I was kind of at my wits end with this thing. And that's when I reached out to Tom and this thing really took on another life once Tom came on board. Enter well, okay. Tom. Tom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. So Time to on shine. That note, on that note, uh, Casey and I were both at, uh, um, and this is the first time Casey and I had met face to face, it was a uh, Furnace Fest. In Birmingham, because I live remotely here in a state of Alabama. And so we had met up and hung out a bit, and that was nice. And I was I had just met up with Walter um before I ate dinner sitting on the lawn out there, and Casey came over in the same area I was, so we you know started talking again and quicksand was on on maybe the next band and I just started talking about this, this, and that. And Casey kind of leaned in quietly and goes, okay, don't tell anybody. But, you know, okay, we're going to do this. Okay, so that's the first I had heard of them doing the slip reissue. And I was like, totally cool. You know, I can keep a secret. No worries about it. Hey, good luck with it, and so on. And I think it was about seven days later or so after meeting up at Furnace Fest that uh, Casey reached out and says, hey, can we talk? And, and that was that, um, for me, I have a lot of past experience as far as collecting ephemera like this, putting it together in a book form and designing that book. That's for, um, other projects like the band, uh, who, uh, whose leader and main songwriter passed away this afternoon, which is very much a bummer, Robbie Robertson. Um, I've done their 50th anniversaries and previously four of them and had worked on books for Snapcase, of course, the visual archives for them. Um, I did a photography book of for Watain, the Swedish black metal band. And also, of course, for that other band I've worked a lot with called the Misfits. Um, so doing, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a thing. So for that, um, uh, for that experience, I felt, and obviously Casey felt that too, that I could bring something to the table um, with this. And it's such a great idea to do it. It was a shame for it to feel so daunting that it would go by the wayside. So I was thrilled that um, Casey and I, who have already worked on previous projects, but could, of course, you know, collaborate again on this one. So that's that's kind of the origin there too. So what was the most frustrating part of putting everything together just for the preliminary, I don't know, kind of proof of of what the book would end up being and how many pages did it initially start out at? And how did you end up to it being a 64-page book? Okay. So there was actually okay. a, a middle ground deluxe edition that we ended up settling on this summer um, because we couldn't find enough content. 
Um, and that's when we were like, maybe this book is just not going to happen. And uh, Jeff Caudill from Game Face, so a lot, a lot of Revelation sort of uh, alumni involved with this thing. Uh, he was working on the standard edition, and we had started, you know, conceptualizing an expanded edition with some of the extra content. Uh, and the first person that sort of came through was Dave Mandel from uh, Indecision Records, and he he had sent us some really amazing photos, and that was sort of like the first aha moment where we're like okay like you know not only do we have some material it's it's really good and no one's ever seen it before um at least not in any sort of like you know mass setting and you know we were able to find a handful of posters and things like that and um jeff and i were having kind of daily conversations as to you know how would we actually get this into a book format and from the beginning, we'd always thought of having a lot of outside contributors from different bands and uh, people within the industry and whatnot, but we didn't want it to be a text heavy book. We wanted it to be a, a more of a visual representation of the band and their history. And so I, I was getting like all sorts of frustrated at that moment because we were reaching out to people who we know have photographed the band or, were involved with booking shows and and we were just hitting dead end after dead end after dead end. Um, and then when Tom came on board, you know, he had just done the Snapcase book. And uh in fact, I don't think he knew this, but you know, what after we talked at Furnace Fest, I came home and I had the Snapcase book sitting in my mail. And so I opened that up and I started flipping through and I started seeing some quicksand stuff in there. And it was just like you know, the light bulb went off in my head, you know, and I called Tom and, and we had worked together before. And I was like, why didn't I think of this sooner? And, um, you know, so Tom right out the gate had some material in his archives that immediately went into the book. Um, and he is a very uh, relentless person with <laughs> when he gets this in his mind, he wants to go full steam ahead. And uh, the two people that I think really, made this book turn into, you know, what it was, was John Marcus, um, the band's photographer and, and Tom fully tracked him down and got in touch and made that happen. And then the other was Melinda Beck, who was, uh, uh, illustrator that did a lot of the quicksand merch and, and, you know, the cover of Manic Compression and, uh, some of the singles. And once we got those two people on board, that's when the floodgates opened and and Tom can attest to this as well. He was starting to get mad at me because I was like shipping him box after box after box of stuff. Cause like, it was like, now we were finding things. And uh, at the end of the day, we had to kind of draw a line in the sand on how many pages this thing was going to be. Because uh, I think it, we got to the point that if we don't, it's just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You could do this forever. That's how I put it um, to Casey at that time was we can keep doing this. We will continue to find things. Somebody's going to put something on heck eBay, you know, uh, two months from now. But what ultimately has to happen is we have to hit a due date. We have to hit a specific number because things like page count affect the spine width of a book. The spine width of a book has to be in exact measurements and determined on templates. And, and there's a ripple effect of these things. So at some point, we were kind of guessing it would be around six, 56 to 64. Things have to be in, in divisions of four for books like this. 
So we were in that range anyway, and we did err on the side of going high because of the fact of how much stuff was coming in at that point. Um, John Marcus was, uh, John and Melinda, as, as Casey knew, were uh, coups as far as I was concerned as well. They were the ones that really made this happen. For uh, um, a book, you always need somebody who's going to step up and be that person. And John Marcus literally said, dude, okay, yeah, I'm all in. I'm just going to send you a box. Dude, this box was amazing. It was just print mania, prints and prints and scraps. There's a spread in the book um, that shows the band in like Czechoslovakia and Europe um, on the tour before Slip came out. And these were just literally ripped up test scraps that John had tossed in this, in this box. It was tremendous. It was a tr treasure trove and scanning all those at ridiculous DPI to use as spreads and big and beautiful and that kind of stuff. And when Melinda was like, Oh, I have original scratch board art. I mean, you know, you're just nerding out at this point. This is just what is tapping into the real passion side of it, you know, and, and you're getting that back from people and, and, uh, you know, for the sake of it, so for starters, this was my working quicksand list, okay? And it was people that are scratched out now are the ones who either flaked or didn't come in on it, you know, never delivered or never responded, okay? And then other people are highlighted and, and marked, like, whether or not they not only said yes or that they delivered the goods. I mean, this was just my cheat sheet. Casey had his own cheat sheet of names, you know, of people to get quotes from, to get, you know, items in. And this is, you know, this helped me keep track. Plus, we only had so much time. That's the other thing to consider. And that's another reason why I was kind of getting on Casey a bit about like, dude, calm down. You know, because at some point I had to know what I had so I could build it. If that's fluid, then I don't know. I'm not going to go back and, and drop something into page 19 because I like the way page 18 and 19, that spread looked. And I'm going to be a temperamental bitch about it. I'm going to. You know, so, you know, that's the way it is. The other thing regarding this is these are my notes for the pagination. Pagination is, is what we refer to as far as, you know, page by page, what belongs on each one. And so for me, this is my working file. What's beautiful about this is that they're all highlighted, which means when I finished, <laughs> I was happy um and went along the way i would i design a book from front to back and therefore some things change along the way because sometimes i'll do something slightly different and go oh that's cool i'm going to integrate that from here but this is a pagination and this pagination starts to say okay we have things like we have the pre-slip era and the pre-slip era was a big part of this book so in looking inside the book here I didn't want to go, and this is something Casey and I debated a lot about too, was I wanted nothing about the seven inch in here. This is not about the seven inch that, you know, even though the tracks are involved, it predates the process of them. And I think Walter would attest to that is that they wrote those tracks, but then they went out and really cut their teeth. I mean, the live performances, the touring nonstop, the playing, working those songs over and over, becoming an even greater band. That was that process so in the front of the mag in front of the book you're going to get tons of those flyers you're going to get in 91 92 photos um, and attestments because this is the process of writing and creating this monster of a record 
Um, so we have to figure out what's, you know, how many pages for that, how many pages for, uh, um, I mean, geez, look at the stuff in here. This helmet posters, you know, from Taz and other artists. I mean, this stuff's incredible. So Casey did a great job nerding out and finding like, um, uh, uh, what's the New York Weekly? Oh my God, it's killing me. Village Voice. The Village, Village Voice. Voice. Yeah. Um, you know, find, yeah, finding copies of that with things in it that I could scan and turn into bitmaps and lay in there as texture. And, and that was just a lot of fun. So then you get to, inside the book, you get to the record itself. And then you start seeing all the promo CDs that come from it. And this is the ripple effect of the album coming out, right? So it's set up in this video shoots that John Marcus shot. And then we keep rolling this out to then merch and so on. And, and it was just so much fun to put together, but chronologically it was, it was a beast as well. Cause you really want things to fall in line because you want to see um, the t-shirts in fashion evolve and haircuts evolve as much as you do anything else. You want it to be true to how it felt as a fan watching this go up. And I mean, every time I look, through the book, I see something that I didn't notice before. Um, I mean, the attention to detail is insane. I have a lot of records and a lot of things like this. And I, we said on, you know, when we talked about this on the other episodes, but truly this is on par, if not above any anniversary edition that I own and I own them, you know, from bands on major labels and big, you know, big box sets. Um, and one of the things Casey you touched on is like the, the whole cash grab thing. And I think this is so far from that because again, you couldn't get slip on vinyl in 2000, you know, when iodine came back in 2021, right? Like you couldn't get slip on, on, on vinyl. So it it because it, it also just to me brings the topic of like more more stuff needs to be in print, you know, like there should be anybody should be able to go to the store and get this record right. Like at the end of the day, like it it shouldn't be this like thing that somebody has to pay a lot of money to get an original or you know whatever if they want to own a physical copy so it's super important yeah. i think this this release because this is a, a a just a landmark record for the genre um how did it feel when you've kindly got the finished book like when you got one of these and in your hands i i mean it felt unreal i mean i I felt like a fan getting this book, not the label that put it out. And I, I called Tom the day it came in and, you know, it was just, you know, in fact, going back a little bit, when Tom sent me the PDF of the final layout, he, he wanted to look through it with me on the phone to, to kind of experience my reaction to it. And he can, you know, he, he was pleasantly happy with how excited I was to see this thing come together. Um, but, you know, to touch on a few points that you just made, you know, that was really the goal was to make this thing feel special and feel complete and, you know, make it with the fan in mind and, and the, the person that's going to have this. And, 
some of the things that I thought about throughout the process, not just with the book, but the record itself was, this is such an important record for so many people that if anything is wrong or anything is off, we are going to hear about it. Right. <laughs> and, and the echo chamber of the internet is just going to like lose their collective mind if we're just taking shortcuts, you know, to get this thing out. So like the center labels have to be perfect. The, you know, the sound quality obviously has to be on par. Um, you know, if, if something was off or we, we missed a key detail and uh, I don't want to name names, but there was someone who reissued this record previously that, you know, misspelled names in the liner notes and misspelled lyrics in the lyric sheet. So, I mean, this is stuff that we we just combed over and combed over and we're like, this has to be the definitive edition of Slip, right? Like, it's going to be hard for anyone to come in, you know, 10 years from now and try to replicate the amount of work we put into this. The 40 year anniversary. Yeah. yeah the, <laughs> the, the 50 year anniversary <laughs> board for that. Um, but, you know, even with the audio, we didn't want to just master it from the CDs. Um, we, we went to universal. We, we talked to the, the vault team over there and we were actually able to get the original 1993 tapes from the universal vault. And if you know the history there, like, uh, Tom might know the exact date, but you know, some years ago, most of the Universal Vault burned down in a in a horrible fire. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, was, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and there was some like you know, really really valuable masters that got lost in that fire. Um, I mean, I, I'm not giving you exact names, but I mean stuff at the level of like Bob Dylan and whatnot gone. And so when we reached out, I mean, we had no idea like were the quicksand tapes saved in that fire and turns out they were. And so we were able to get those baked and transferred and uh, sent over to Jack Shirley at the atomic garden. And, you know, we didn't want to change the audio structurally. We didn't want anyone to be upset that it sounded like a remix or anything like that. But what we did is just let that audio breathe a little bit more and kind of take away some of that 1990s, you know, high end treble sound, the, you know, the tin can sound and really bring up that low end so that when you, when you play this record on your, you know, on your speakers, it, you can feel what they were intending to do originally. Um, I mean, it sounds, it sounds great. Cause the first thing I did when, you know, you had sent, I got my copy. I was like, Oh, I know what I'm doing on lunch break. Cause I, I work from home. I opened it up and I was pouring through the book and then, put it on the turntable and it, it sounds fantastic. And it doesn't, like you said, it's not one of these things where it's like remixed and redone. So, Oh, I'm so used to the original. And like, I do have an original copy. Um, I would have to a B them to see, but like, you know, to see what the differences are, but I'm assuming, like you said, it's just some minor, you know, cleaning up of stuff that isn't going to actually affect the recording or the music, you know, like just like, yeah. I mean, we just, we like just brought it up to current standards. That's all we did, you know, and, and giving it that dynamic range so that you can just feel the power of it when you're, when you're blasting it. Um, you know, and the other thing going back to what you're saying about the quality, Tom and I had long discussions about the book and, you know, I, in my mind, I didn't care if I made a penny on this thing. It was more important to just make this thing feel like a high quality book. So, we were like, we're going to spare no expense. I mean, I asked Tom for a wish list, you know, and he's like, 
soft cover touch, you know, on the book and this and that. And like, I was like, sure, do it all. I mean, we're every element of it. I want you to hold it. And it want, you know, we want you to feel that, you know, everything that we could have done with this, we did. And the other thing was, I think I really upset the flipper market with this record because, you know, some labels out there, they like to do this whole scarcity thing where, you know, they put out a record and they just put out enough copies that people panic and, you know, they're hitting buy, 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 buy. And I didn't want it to feel like that. I wanted there to be enough copies of this thing. So anyone who wanted one could get one and we're keeping it in press for as long as we possibly can so that it's available. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. And I think yeah. that, cause again, that's cause at the end of the day, like you said, the main thing is you want this record out there. Like you, like you want somebody five years from now, Lord willing, right. As long as you can keep it in print to be able to go and be like, Oh, I've read about this quicksand record and, you know, flipping through the bins and, and get it and, and bring it home. Cause it is a different experience than just being like, Oh, I heard about this quicksand record. Here's, you know, a Spotify link. I'm going to listen. Like there's something different about experiencing it that way and keeping it in print makes it not as difficult for somebody to, to do that because yeah, like I know, in fact, I noticed when I was pulling, pulling out, I was like, Oh, you can still get this. And I think that's, it doesn't mean, like you said, it's not like, Oh, this must not have sold because I'll tell you my local store that I mention all the time, Siren, you saw that picture they posted Casey where they had, they're gone. It's gone. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's not like people aren't buying it, but it's just, it's nice to know that you, you even put that thought in, like, I'm not going to make this seem like you, you got to buy it this second, or you're going to be left in the dust and having to pay twice what it's worth Absolutely. Know, online. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the other consideration we had was we made it available at different kind of tiers, right? So the book was expensive to make. It was really expensive to make. Um, you know, not only do we have to pay for the production of it, but, you know, we had to license a lot of the photos that were in it. You know, we had to pay for the the project management and the design. Um, so unfortunately, like we couldn't price it much cheaper than we are, than what we had it at. So it was important that there was a, a normal edition that if someone just wanted the record, you know, they're not going to be priced out of getting this record, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you were saying, like people are still discovering quicksand, you know, and a lot of these uh, bands in the post hardcore realm that have, you know, surpassed quicksands, uh, you know, sort of populace, like, you know, bands like Thursday or thrice and hot water music. I mean, all of these bands cite quicksand as, you know, uh, such a major influence still to this day and they were all included in the book for that reason um and so these younger fans of those bands you know when they start doing that thing where they peel back the layers and they kind of go backwards you know quicksand is a starting point for a lot of this so you know yes it it should be available there's no reason that it should ever go out of print you know and um like i said we we worked really hard to make sure that it was affordable it was available and you know the book is actually almost sold out so once those are sold out we won't repress that because it's kind of like a a one-time experience um Mm -hmm. but we made enough that anyone who really wanted one 
is able to get one. Yeah. I think the reason why I love it so much is when you pick up the book, you can tell that a lot of love and care went into the project instantly. And that's why I think I connected with it so much because I'm a quicksand stan, a super fan, and there were so many photos in there that I had never seen before. And that didn't, I didn't know existed. And I guess a lot of that is from John Marcus contributing photos, but I also saw that there was photos contributed from friend of the pod, Adam Tanner and Mark Beamer, Patrick West from change. Uh, Dave Mandel, like we said earlier. Dave Mandel, I noticed right away, of course, because yeah. I saw that name pop out right away. But um, yeah, it's just the gold standard for reissues is what I said to Greg when I picked it up, uh, when I opened it, when it arrived at my house. So yeah, um, like I, I stand by, I mean, I have, I have a couple, I'm, I'm looking, my part of my record collection is like just out of sight of the screen here. And like, like I get like those, you know, I, uh, replacements for their records, you know, have done something similar. And I got to say, even those aren't, the books are like a, you know, more like a, a soft, I don't know what you call it, like an insert. Like it's not, I love how this is like an actual hardcover yeah. book. I don't know how to explain it, but basically like I'm saying like, and they're done by, you know, Rhino Records, so, you know, what's huge label, right? And they're, they're nice, don't get me wrong, but yeah, this is the gold standard. Okay, so, well, on that note, and, and it's been addressed a little bit, and the thing is, is that, uh, Sometimes I feel like, and Casey alluded to this cash grab uh, status for some reissues, and, and that can go on throughout the scene, whether that's punk, hardcore, underground music of all kinds. People basically replicate the cover um, badly and then just, you know, just do it and make it available on different colors and, and sell it out. Fine. But with my work with majors universal in particular as far as these massive boxes i treated this record exactly the same there is no difference to me whether or not it's for john mellencamp or the band who you know are on the time cover of time magazine none of these things change the fact that quicksand is that to this world and Casey was all about it. So that made it very easy to sit there and say, well, we're going for it. And this is going to look every bit as good as I would do, A, being paid four times as much for a project that may sell five times as much. There's no right. difference there. And that's the thing with Casey and I is that we were not interested in going, well, this is smaller, so we should act smaller. That's, that's stupid. What it is is the reverence to the greatness of this album and this music that inspired all of it. And Casey also alluded to the fact that I wanted to watch him or hear him on the phone flip to each spread of this book for the first time. And the thing is, is that Casey was like, well, how are we going to be able to do this in time? And I was like, there's no time. Well, we had such a turnaround by the time we hit the date of no more new stuff that I was like, I'm going to be able to present it to you and we're barely going to have time you know, to make any change whatsoever. So it's going to be crucial. So I put in everything I could. And for Casey to see this for the first time, really, as one was so exciting for me. And it's exciting for me to hear that from you, Jason, that the fact that like when you're flipping through it, you're like, this is new. And Greg, you're saying the same thing. I never saw this before. This is new. This is great. And to hear Casey go, 
literally to flip to, you know, this page of flyers or this page of pictures and go like, oh, man. Like that, that's his reaction. That that's what the fan is. And that's what I was doing it. And I wanted to present. And that's always my goal. And it's always been my goal to do books that have people flip through and go, oh shit. And Greg, you said earlier something that is crucial too is that every time you flip through this book, you're gonna see something you haven't seen before. And that's something that occurred that I learned early on is and then applied especially to the Misfits book uh from um uh, from a few years back was that I heard that a lot. And that's inspiring I have that book to me. Too. <laughs> so there you go. And so you can see, you know, you can see there's a semi-template there, but at the same time, this embraces the quicksand colors. This embraces white as a background versus, of course, the Misfits book embraced a lot of black for the obvious reasons. This is something that um, was clean and crisp and fun. And the thing is, John Marcus put all his effort into making great photographs. Um, Melinda put all her effort into making great art. Casey wanted to make this a great piece. I wanted to make it a great piece. Why would we settle for anything less? And to hear Melinda come back after getting in and go, oh, this is amazing. That's exciting. And to hear you guys say that, hear anybody say it, it's just exciting to do projects like this. It is a pleasure and a privilege to do this. And Casey put in like two years of time to preserve it. So why would we do anything less? You know? Right. And that was more my point too, even just saying like, no, like the, I think those, you know, to go back to the other box sets and like those replacements box sets are awesome and they came out super nice. But, you know, again, you're thinking like that's Rhino and this is you know, Casey Iodine. And it's like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even know, you wouldn't even know that there was a, a you know, a difference in size of the labels. And I think that's what you were going for. You wanted it to be up there with any, anything else. And I mean, you exceeded expectations when, when Casey reached out to us about, you know, Hey, do you want to do some, uh, you know, some promo for the thing? And and I heard about it on the, I, even I was like, that's a big undertaking. And I knew when he mentioned the book, I was like, Oh, that sounds awesome. And I love books with quotes from other artists and stuff just to get their perspective. And then getting, getting this in, in the mail and seeing it was like, it exceeded every expectation that I had for what it was going to look like. Yeah. Speaking of which, we did not talk about redoing the cover of the uh, album for the reissue, Tom. I have, I have that in my notes of things that I'd like to mention. Okay, good. Thank you very much for that segue. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something. So for Casey and Jeff, uh, who had already been running with this, you know, much prior to my coming on board. Um, obviously, you know, Casey could attest to what was done to try and make sure that this cover art, you know, even on the standard edition or how it looks and how it presents itself and so on. But for me on this project was, well, what makes this special? Okay, what's going to set this apart? So they obviously already had a slipcase and a uh, gatefold version, right? As, a, as kind of the, the, you know, the middle ground there. So, okay, those things are off the table as far as I'm concerned, because we're not going to overlap anything here. So people are going to have the, the tr classic cover on the standard. They're going to have this really cool gold foil embossed, you know, cover on the slip, you know, a slip case. 
Sorry, there was a slip of the tongue and slipcase and deluxe version. But this one, I was like, I pitched three covers to Casey uh, and Joe to take a look at. And one was only this one was steeped in kind of not a total nod to the original. The other two were definitely taking things further. And in my mind, I'm always a very progressive minded person. So I'm interested in not just reproducing the past. I see this as an evolution of things guys. So, but they picked the one that was closest, but the thing is, and I, um, I may have for a couple minutes probably have disagreed with Casey on that one, but he was right. And I say that, and that was a good decision. And that's the thing about working with people that you trust is that that was a very good decision. What, what is went into the cover here and also the back cover for that matter is what you see on the cover of the book is these, and I'm looking at it here to kind of refresh my memory if I'm looking off here. So there's layers built and there's about probably five layers of imagery uh, in there. And they're all, the background texture for this book is all directly sampled from the original cover. It's basically taking it and uh, essentially photocopying it and then contrasting it so hard and coming up with various textures but they're all sourced from the original so then those textures create kind of this i had to pick colors that i uh, gathered would when combined feel like the cover from afar even close does that make sense so far i hope so yeah absolutely Um, so with that then it came to the divers and let's face it, even Walter knows, you know, where this came from originally, this imagery, and it was a color copy. Um, and it was brutal even then, very low, low grade as far as uh, you know, clarity and whatnot goes. So thinking of trying to distort that, I wanted it clean and crisp. So I created these individual versions of the divers that are half-toned. Um, and layered them over these crude... Um, block tracings that I create in the orange underneath them. So this is basically the diver over the crude orange tracings, and then basically three layers of color that were all are all the actual textures from the original cover, but sampled and manipulated to um, to my taste at that point. Same with the back cover is the back cover is has half toned as well. You know the the guitar classic guitar and amp shot. Um, so in essence, what they're getting, what somebody gets with this for their money, because it is an investment. And in hardcore, it's not easy to toss around an expensive project and, and ask that of people. So we wanted to give them everything that we could get. And um, so it's a unique stamp on the record that takes it a little further. And of course, on the inside, you get the, the, the original. So it's a win-win to me. And and like you said, there's because all right, as someone who buys way more records than I should, um, <laughs> like when something's reissued, there's nothing I loathe more than the cover getting changed. But hold on, you're thinking, wait, but the way you did it was perfect because you <laughs> give you're giving people the option to if you just want to get the standard version with the with the you know front and back cover the same. You got it. And then if you want the golden, the the slip case, you got that. And then if you want to do the deluxe, 
you can do that. It's, it's, uh, and again, I have like, here's the, this is the original one here. You can't see it cause it's all, all the stuff, but the fact that you have that choice and like is perfect. And I, I, I think this, the, you know, the book cover looks awesome. Um, and like you said, it's not necessarily, it's supposed to be a new thing. It's not like, that's the way I view the, the book, if that makes sense. Like this isn't to replace my original copy or someone's original copy. It's to enhance it. Yeah. It, it's, it's a companion piece. You know, this is, this is the collector's piece for someone who, you know, it, it's funny. I, I was going to say like someone who holds quicksand in this, you know, this category of being, you know, such an important band. But I also think that this book speaks to a lot of people that, you know, maybe they like quicksand, but there's so much more to it because there's, there's so much history. And, you know, especially when you get into the commentary and you could see how far quicksand's reach was and, you know, it still is, and it still, you know, resonates today, you know, as it did 30 years ago with really changing the trajectory of underground music. Um, you know, and I would argue that they, you know, I mean, Fagazi was doing something similar, but it was like a slightly different world, you know, where quicksand was coming from New York hardcore and weren't afraid to really do something that was against the grain and, you know, really in, without a better term for it, created a new genre or, you know, or at least a new trajectory for like what was possible within our world and our community. Mm-hmm. How hard yeah, was it sure. to track down the, uh, was it, was it a hard process to get all the uh, writings from, from artists or was it relatively easy? Honestly, that was maybe the easiest part of this whole thing. And I, I tell you, there were some people that I reached out to, that I was a little nervous about, like, uh, like Scott Ian from Anthrax, you know, it's like, you don't send a message to Scott thinking he's going to reply. <laughs> and, uh, not only did he reply he, well, through his management, but they replied the same day. And in the reply, Scott had said, you know, thank you for this opportunity. Um, so again, that's just really, <clears throat> This just shows how much this band means to people and someone like Scott, who's, you know, I mean, he's not Metallica, but you know, he's up there. Like, yeah, he's like people know he's a prominent known... person in, yeah. in heavy music. Um, you know, same thing with, uh, Jeff Rickley from Thursday or, <clears throat> I mean, the vast number of other names, you know, I have to list them all out, but like everyone we asked was so excited to take part in this. Nobody said no. Um, we had immediate responses from just about everybody. Um, and, you know, some of these contributions weren't one-liners. I mean, some people went really in-depth. Um, one of my favorite quotes in the book was actually from uh, Kate 108, uh, who or Kate Reddy. You know, she wrote this really retrospective piece that was very personal and very touching. And um, uh, Norman Brandon uh, from Texas is the Reason reached out recently and you know, commented on how her, her words made him feel because it brought him back to that time period of growing up with these people. So hearing stories like that for me is just like, you know, wow. <laughs> I mean, and that's really the the point I'm trying to make is that like, yes, it's about the band, but it's also about New York in 1993. And it's about 
all these people in this community that was really growing, you know, around, not just around quicksand, but around, you know, this, this whole scene. So it, it just, it speaks so much to so many people. And like Tom was saying, you know, every time you open the book, you see something different, but when you read the words, you might actually find something different that resonates with, you know, all of our histories. No, I was just going to say for the cover art, we didn't talk about the original divers being done by Alex Brown. And I think that you did just an awesome tribute to the original version that still maintains that, that, that quality and the grittiness of the, of the original LP cover. I think that so it was all probably a hard undertaking, but you did it justice. Thank you. I mean, it just kind of, again, evolve it in this book, which presents itself with 30 years of history, you know, uh, history intact. Um, it couldn't possibly to me be the same, you know, and, and even in, again, the three versions that uh, Casey um, released, you know, the standard uh, gatefold uh, slipcase in this book, um, you know, we wanted to make this even something different, too. We changed the LP labels. You know, so the labels on the vinyl for this are different as well versus they are in the nod to the original, you know, on the other two versions. Um, so we wanted to kind of just continue to make this exclusive. One of my favorite design elements um, is something, a practice I learned early on with CDs. There was a period in CDs where when vinyl was dead and we were pretty much only doing CDs and maybe a cassette. Um uh spines on cds were basically an afterthought somebody just columbia records as a whole would just have a white background with red machine typeface and no matter what the artwork looked like so that always really aggravated me so i always took to things like put on crazy colors on the spines and whatnot so if i went to somebody's apartment you know saw their cd collection i'm like okay i, I did that one i can see it here i did those six in their collection without even seeing the cover Right. So with this one, this book, the, the spine is one of my favorite uh, aspects. And the, again, the beauty is taking risks like this and having somebody like Casey not uh, balk at any of it was was fantastic. It was such a fun process. But the, the way to bleed the quicksand logo on there. So when it's in your vinyl collection, you know, I mean, it other people's are going to be, you know, this big names. And the spine of this thing is, you know, the logo is like 10 inches you know wide and it just really kind of screams and the thing is for those who know you know and that's the beauty of it. it's already in your collection for god's sake you know right so you know i enjoyed uh being able to have some you know some fun with that jason you yes. have something to say no 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 that you uh Cut off Tom when it came to the contribution. So I wanted to, I wanted to keep on going on that track. If he can remember what you're going to say before I. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got one thing to add, well, about, and um, about the written contribution. <laughs> but uh, yeah. you know, the one um, thing that for I think both of us that really took this thing home, and you know, the the ultimate stamp of approval is when Walter got his copy in the mail, and. He had independently reached out to both Tom and I and said how moved he was by the book and that, you know, it really brought him back. And the one thing he said to me, and I can't remember if he said this to Tom as well, was that we created a family heirloom um, for his family to, to really document an important part of his life. And that he was just so blown away that we were able to create this thing um, 
you know, it's just kind of independently. I mean, the band was involved, but again, like I was saying, like everything that came to this book came from all the friends and the, and the community and people that just adore this band. And so for the band to see it, it was almost, you know, just this really special moment that struck home, like how important this thing was. Yeah. Um, one of the key things I talked earlier about how getting John Marcus and, um, and uh, Melinda Beck involved kind of coups, the ultimate coup, of course, what we haven't spoken about until now is, is getting Walter to write liner notes. And that was something that I had gotten Walter to write contextual contributions like we have in the rest of this book for Snapcase book and for the Misfits book. So I had already had this kind of, you know, um, connection with him regarding this. When you can go to him and say, hey, I've got all of John Moccas's, you know, pictures. He sent me a box. You got Melinda. You have Joe Nelson, a longtime friend of them and a big time Huntington Beach, you know, revelation guy um, who was out on the road with him, who made the quicksand movie and have him go get dude just use anything you want from what i wrote you know on my youtube blurb and use anything you want from the movie when you have this kind of access walter and them could find themselves into a situation where they could feel comfortable knowing like this is their friends this is their community and this is what's going on and you know walter and i spoke about what he could go for where he was, what he was going to write about. And I gave him some suggestions. And the thing is that may have been the original nugget, but the thing is to read what he wrote um, puts it all in the context. And that's the key about having any of the written contributions is the historical context of those notes. They take us to while the impact was for this record. They take us to a place. They take us to a time like Kate, you know, already did and people throughout this book. They offer the context of this record. We don't just present it and say, here's some pictures and isn't this cool? Okay, here's why it's cool and here's why it mattered. We don't, we want to document why it mattered just for once, for all, you know, time's sake. And that's the beauty of, of the writing. And, and I knew that once, once I could get back to Casey and go, Walter's writing something for us, you know, he, we knew we could be in when we could open up the book after the table of contents. And the first thing you see and read is Walter's insight. I mean, we were, we were beside ourselves. That's when we knew like, this is the deal, you know, like this is not like, again, some of these kind of occasional reissues that just put them out and the bands barely even know about it. Cause Casey can attest that it's not like universe, you know, not like universal or a major is going to then call management up and go, Hey, you guys in the band, you know, this is happening. It just happens. It's business. Right. So it was very, very fun and very cool to see Walter come in. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just kind of say that part of my vision from the beginning of this, every part of this reissue was, the band had to be involved and they had to, they had to buy into the project. It was really important to me that every step of the way we were sending them the masters to review. We were sending them artwork to review that they had a voice in this. Um, and, you know, and I, and I told management from day one, when we, we met with them and Walter and we just said, you can be as involved as you want to be. And we want this, 
we want this to be your record and we don't want iodine recordings to just do what we want and not have your say in it or your, your voice involved. So, you know, for both Tom and I, once Walter came on board and was like, you know, wanted to be a part of this, it just really kind of set this thing home of like, okay, it's, this is what we wanted. And the final product is going to be beyond what we ever conceptualized. Did you get any feedback from any of the other members of the band um, from, you know, from Tom Capone? Like I'm thinking who, you know, I know he isn't playing with them now uh, or Sergio or Alan. Yeah. I mean, we, we corresponded with uh, Sergio some Um, Alan was kind of behind the scenes. Uh, I, I assume they all got to hear the masters before they were approved. And, um, you know, I, a lot of our sort of back and forth was through management. So I, I don't know to what extent, you know, each individual person was involved, but, you know, Sergio is, uh, heavily involved with the sort of promo aspect and, you know, the, the kind of the rollout and did a lot of press for us for the book. Um, and as far as I know, like, I, I'm not sure many of the guys talk to Tom very often. Uh, I'm not totally keyed on in the relationship there, but, uh, unfortunately, like we didn't really have the opportunity to talk with him as this thing came together. Sure. Um, so I guess before we, before we wrap it up, there is another quicksand record after this. <laughs> I know it's asking a lot because you already, <laughs> and I saw there was a, there was a reissue that the band didn't even necessarily seem to fully know about or whatever. Um, 2025 will be 30 years of manic compression. Is there any chance? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any chance you had some stuff where you're like, we're going to save this for the next one? Um, again, with how, much, that, with how much effort know, this took, I understand yeah, it. You're we, like, <laughs> um, we would love to do it. Um, Tom and I have talked about it, uh, you know, unfortunately until something's a done deal, you know, we can't say that we are not doing anything in particular, but, um, you know, we, we have big hopes for this label and, you know, quicksand has been an amazing experience and we hope to continue that relationship. And I figured I'd ask, cause I know people will say, why didn't you, well, why didn't you ask? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's the, that's the reason I asked. And I know, that, yeah. you know, I, 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 mean, under, I understand the downside the is there's so much, you know, business behind the scenes that has to happen to make something like, like Tom said, this book took two years to put together. And, you know, the first year of that was the, the business side that's really boring to discuss, but like, you know, coming up with all those agreements and getting everyone on the same page and, you know, the financial piece of it. So, you know, it's, these things don't happen fast. Um, and you know, this, in this case, it was well worth the effort and, you know, iodine in my opinion is really just starting to get started. And, you know, I, this is, this is a passion project for me and whether it's quicksand or any other band that we work with, we give every project that we take on that same level of care, that same level of love that we put into the quicksand book. Um, you know, obviously it's not going to be as big, but, you know, I tell all the bands that we work with, you know, they're, everyone's on equal footing in my mind because every record that, you know, we are a part of, 
to that band, it's the most important thing in the world. And we want to respect that and honor that. So, you know, there's a lot coming from the label in the next couple of years. And I think that, you know, anyone listening and you guys, I, you know, I, ho- I hope to make you proud for what we've got coming. And I was, yeah. that's what I was going to ask actually is, you know, obviously this release got your label's name and logo in front of a lot of people that maybe wouldn't have known. Um, so, you know, that alone had, like you said, had to be like a kind of neat achievement where it's like now anything after the, it, after this record, like I would assume more people are going to be paying attention, right? Cause they're going to see how beautiful this came out and say, Oh, well, I want to see what else they have to offer. Is there anything that you can like upcoming releases you want to plug that, you're able to like that, you know, yeah, people can look absolutely. forward to. And, and, and thanks for saying that. And, you know, my goal as a label is to create the sort of environment that, you know, we knew back in the nineties where, you know, you have labels like revelation or discord or sub pop or Jade tree that, you know, they built these catalogs and as fans of music, we really trusted in the types of releases that they took in. And it may not all sound the same. And all those labels I just named, you know, they're not genre labels. I mean, their stuff really runs the gamut. But you knew that, I mean, you guys run a podcast about a singular label, right? <laughs> right. Because like you knew that if you saw the Rev Star on the back of a record, that it would meet a certain quality or a certain standard. And it was worth your time and worth your money to check out. And my dream for the label has always been that, that our bands may not sound anything similar to each other but that when you see the spaceman on the back of a jacket that it's worth checking out and like to me that's like the ultimate sort of victory as running a label which is that people just trust in the brand and in the you know that sort of stamp of approval um we've got a lot cooking i mean I, i could talk for an hour about everything we've got coming but uh the biggest uh forthcoming releases we've got the new iron roses which is uh nathan gray from voice it's fires new band um we just signed no man who i know you guys are friends with oh yes (laughs) from dc uh uh, amazing you know thrashy hardcore bands they've got a new record coming out in early 2024 uh we just signed a, a really aggressive brutal hardcore band from uh florida band called horsewhip which is uh x majority rule um, I mean, I could go on and on and on. I mean, we've got, uh, uh what's called oh, news. Uh, we just reissued stretch Armstrong's, uh, revolution transmission that comes out in October and we're working our way through their entire catalog. Uh, that's been a really great relationship for the label. So, you know, the label right now is about 50, 50 reissues and new releases. Um, yeah, I would say the future of the label is probably going to be less reissues and focusing more on new bands because as much as I love the past, like we really want to, you know, have one foot in the past, but really look to the future and, and give new bands and new music a chance to kind of have, you know, it's time, you know, and uh, the reissues help give some of that context. Um, But, you know, being able to put new music into the world is really a, a special experience that, you know, we, we want to kind of focus on moving forward. I think it's good to have that, that mix too, you know, um, like I said, a lot of my favorite labels 
operate like that. Like I've mentioned here before, like, you know, Jason is like, I love Southern Lord, you know, and it's like, there's a mix between like archival reissue stuff where it's like, Hey, here's something you may not have known about, but you should check out or something that you did know about and has been out of print. But then there's also new stuff. And um, I think that's a, that's a good thing because like you said, you want, you don't want to live completely in the past but he also also it's good to at least acknowledge it and appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to the new releases. Like I said, uh, No Man, I thought that song from the upcoming record was killer. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing it. You know, Jason, I know, is, has been singing their praises for a long time. And after I heard that oh, yes. song, after I heard that song, I was like, oh, I'm on board. This is good. <laughs> so. We're excited for that. And we're going to keep putting Tom to work. Uh, yes. Whether he likes it or not. So uh, we we keep pitching projects over to him. And it's it, he's been a great part of the team. And I, I will say that the community we've built around the label has been the most important part. And I always tell people like Tom that we, we really are picky on who we work with because we want them to be invested in the vision that we have that this label is is putting forward, you know, really great music and that we, we give it the love and attention. And, you know, I, I really want that to be the benchmark that we're remembered for, um, you know, whenever this thing ends again, which it will at some point. Tom, any last, uh, any last words, anything you want to shout out that you're working on that you're, if, if you're, you know, able to discuss, or I know the Snapcase book, like you said, is, fairly new within the last couple months, yeah, I guess. End of, last year, end, of, end of last year. Yeah. Um, now obviously had a great time doing that. Um, have a project coming together that I feel that I won't say any more about, but I feel that maybe three of us will be talking about maybe uh, one day in the near future. So I'm excited <laughs> about a big, uh, and then Casey and I actually are collaborating on a, uh, potential uh benefit comp that uh, is near to my heart so that will probably not be till 2025 you know how these things go but uh it's always nice to be working with um uh, people like casey um also maybe some things with crucial john um shining shining life um coming up and you know it's I, the thing is when you do freelance like me you never know what's coming um, you know, the, what the, what the next email or the next phone call and, and, and job will be. And that's from Casey or anyone else you don't know. And I just love doing it. All kinds of music, all kinds of time periods. And it's fun. So at the end of the day, this is all music. We're working to music and we complain. I'm sure we all do, but we probably shouldn't complain as much. Awesome. Jason, <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm just curious. We, we don't normally do this on the non-canon episodes, but do you guys have a hot track on Slip? You know, we do hot tracks on here. Uh, can you pick a, can you pick a favorite? I don't know if I can. I mean, I, I it's interesting when I look back at this record in particular, because I think I've had a favorite song from the album that changes, you know, year to year, or sometimes even month to month. You know, I think right now head to wall is probably the one that I spend the most, but uh, 
that, that's the amazing thing about this record is like there's there's no filler. It's right. <laughs> oh yeah. Every record, even Baphomet, which is supposed to be like you know sort of a, a sleeper track, is still it hits hard. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think you could ask that. I, every track is sort of equal in my mind. <laughs> it's funny because we did a Patreon episode on this, and I don't even remember what I picked, which is again a testament to it could be any of them. Like I was like trying to think about it. I was like, what? I don't even remember what I what I picked from it because it could be any number of the Anything. of the tracks. How about you, Tom? Do you um, in the same boat? When I'm playing music in um, iTunes, I do not. I've never done anything like Spotify or anything in my life. I've never streamed a thing like that. But so I'm able to, and I'm sure you can in these other devices. Um, but every once in a while, I'll just hit the love button next to something, you know, when I just have a play and I just want to, you know, just tag it because it struck me and it hops me out of whatever I'm doing and takes me back to like, oh my God, you know, just make a note of this. Lion Weight is the one that I last hit hard on uh, for this record. Um, so for whatever reason, uh, it struck me that last time, but I think I'm with Casey, like in you guys, it, it can change so many times over the years. It's just... It's just a ridiculously perfect record, top to bottom. I mean, all killer, no filler, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. And we forgot to even mention. I mean, we got the the slip. Thirtieth anniversary shows are right around the corner, right? They're yeah. coming up in uh, late October, early November. I have my ticket to the yep. show in DC. Hopefully, I make it. I'll see you there. Yes, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> after okay. after yeah. coming yeah. back from the fest with um, No Man. Yeah. Oh, oh, nice. So we're we're also uh, thinking about maybe doing something New Yorkish. We will see. Ah. Um, but I think that's worth at least putting a nod to, Casey. Um, even if we're not saying anything more. But um, obviously, it's very exciting that the band um, would jump in on the enthusiasm that you know of this 30th and put together such a fantastic tour and who isn't psyched again hear every one of these songs live and you know come on so um it's going to be fantastic i'm excited to um see walter and the guys and and whoever else comes out that's the beauty of shows like this is that people come out of the woodwork and you just you know see people you haven't seen in a while so it's another great reason that music brings us all together Absolutely. I think that's a good place to, to wrap up. Thank you so much, both of you and Casey, really. Th thank you for having us feel even just a teensy bit of involvement with like, with this and being able to, you know, talk about it and to actually see it come to life. Um, it's not something that's lost on us. Like we, I, I was honored to be able to, you know, get to talk about it on here and stuff. So much appreciation to you and iodine and Joe Grillo bit of boat to Joe. Uh, so yeah. And Tom, yeah, and, again. and honestly, it takes, it takes the entire community to, to put together a project like this and, you know, don't minimize your involvement. Because... 